Welcome to episode six of Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. Today I talk with the lovely, luminous, and talented Diana Lynn, singer-songwriter, graphic artist, drum circle facilitator, wife, mother, goddess. We discuss her early years growing up in Philadelphia, attending her dad's church, finding her voice, going on tour, navigating fire and mayhem in Los Angeles in the early 90s, meeting her husband John, remembering the anniversary of 9-11, delving into the healing power of rhythm, and our meeting through mutual friends via Vital Danza. Hope you enjoy this talk as much as we did. Here's me and Diana Lynn. Hello, my darling Diana Lynn. How are you? I'm so good to see you. I'm so good, Dana. So nice to see you. Really nice to see you. It's it's sad that we're not in person, though. That's I know. I know, but we will be soon. We'll have to make that happen. We will, yes, we will be soon. We will be soon. But I wanted to I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like where you began because you're a Philly girl, right? Yeah. Where you started? Born and raised. Yes. Um, actually, I was born. Um, well, yes. Uh, media the Philadelphia area. And so we live in the suburb, the main line, the, the fancy part of the Philadelphia area. <laughs> but we were poor. <laughs> but your dad, your daddy was a minister, right? Yes, absolutely. He had a little tiny church, a community church, and um, it was called Christ Christian Community Church. And with seven kids, we were the biggest part of the congregation, obviously. <laughs> but um, that was really uh, where I felt the power of music, clapping, stomping, singing, just simple, you know, very little instrumentation, if any, sometimes a piano, but for the most part, it was just voices and clapping and stomping and a tambourine. And that, that's really a great feeling. And then the call and response thing going on, right? Yes, it, absolutely. It, that's such an amazing mm. thing, how with yes. the human voice augmented with a little percussion is like is so powerful it is it's it, it's transcendent you yeah you, you just you're, you're transported to another place and, and i get it it's a spiritual place it's a joyful place and um a very peaceful place and you know i've done a couple classes um working on um at songs from the african-american tradition and many were slave songs and it's very interesting that for the slaves like that back and forth that made them feel together, do you know? Like the call and response. And those songs often were their only hope, you know? So it's, it's powerful. And I, I get that, you know, when I sing in church, I got, I got the power of that song. And even now I still get that. It's, music is, is extraordinary. It's so wonderful. Lifting up your voice. That used to be, um, when I lived in San Francisco, of course there was Glide Memorial and 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 all of i like i i did not i i for some reason i never had the chance to go and i really wish that i had and um uh, reverend cecil williams yeah and um and and i remember like i i knew people who had gone and they were total pagans you know but but they when they're like oh my god it was like jesus was in the house <laughs> <laughs> it was so great because it was all about 
spirit and it was all about community and it's like woo! i mean they were vibrating after they got out and i thought that was incredible it is and to be a part of it oh my goodness i think no matter what you know what you believe whether you believe in god or or whatever you believe in that space you are lifted up you feel it you just you, you have to feel it the rumbling of the floor you know the clap and just everyone swaying you, you feel yourself swaying it's so gorgeous and you're part of something you are part of the great um of of the great cosmic yes yes <laughs> within that congregation yes and and it's so powerful and that and that's you know um the fact that in slave culture that that was their their respite from yes. all the horrors it was community it was music and and dancing also and there was something about um in brazil the capoeira oh yeah that was actually it was a it was a, a form of fighting but yeah. they disguised it the the slaves in the sugarcane plantations were they would just say oh we're just dancing but in fact they were learning a martial art you know because it's so but that's why the music is is incorporated in with the learn the you know the the, um, the forms and stuff like that it was pretty yeah, amazing beautiful amazing stuff but that so you started singing in the church and then did you just like did you care carry that on into college and then expand on it or how did your how did your singing evolve from being a, a young person? Well, I mean, I always loved it, but I went to school for art. I wanted to be a graphic designer. So I thought, well, I'm not really gonna sing. I'm just gonna do my art. And then um, I got into this church band in Philadelphia and we started performing at you know, local parades and things like that. And then I realized I really, really do love singing. Um, even though I was studying art and I studied I was in, let's see, I was in Philadelphia for a year that I transferred um, to Clipstown, which is upstate Pennsylvania, where it's like Mennonites. It's such a, like cows and farms and- Horses uh, and buggies. Horses and buggies, <laughs> yes, horses and buggies. Delicious food, however, really uh -huh. good food. Um, and I wasn't really doing so, so much singing. You know, like a couple bands on campus, little tiny things, but, um, Honestly, I think it wasn't really until, gosh, um, I think the late 80s that I started really auditioning for groups and learning drums and really tried to, to kind of create something for myself musically. And I started a reggae band and, well, I had a co-partner and we had a reggae band and we played up and down the Eastern Seaboard and out here for like seven years. And were your, were your parents thrilled or were they, were they like, how were they encouraging about your, your music or no? No. My, well, I was offered a voice scholarship for the College of Performing Arts for voice. And my dad said that is not the thing for a minister's daughter to do. Either you sing for God or you don't sing. So that was really hard. And in those days, I listened to my father and I didn't do it. But I just felt my life increasingly becoming more frustrated you know i was freelancing doing some graphic design but um that's i think that's when i just started i was like i have to i have to sing so i was just doing you know little little backup singing here little things and slowly it became my life you know mm -hmm. yeah and i wonder um did they eventually kind of come around and realize that that was your gift that that was the thing that you're meant like this is your god-given gift to share with other people 
Yes, they did, but they always felt that I should be singing spiritual music. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, they were very old school, very, very strong belief system. And honestly, the only time they ever saw me perform one time, because they would never come to like a public performance, you know, I, we did a performance in, at my auntie's house. We did a really big event there. I had the whole band come and we set up a whole stage, everything. And they were there and they saw me perform. But they, that was, you know, they're, they're very old school. They just, they didn't, they didn't really approve. They, they really didn't. So what did they really, what do they want you to do? Like if you chose not to sing, like what, what were you supposed to do with your life? What, like in their minds, what was... Um, I think get like a regular stable job, like at the post office and just make sure you have insurance and, you know, a retirement package, just, you just kind of fall in and, and make sure that, you know, when you're older, you have something to fall back on. Right. And they were probably that, that came, I mean, they loved you and they wanted you to be okay. And they wanted you to be secure. So like that, even though it sounds really limiting at the same time, it's like, it's what they knew. It's, exactly. it's, it's what they thought, you know, their daughter would be a, a safe choice for their daughter so she would be okay in the world. Absolutely. Because when you're a parent, you want to make sure that when you're no longer here, that your children are okay. Yeah, I, I, I understand for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, I imagine you probably had great compassion for them, you know. Yes, I did. I did. It was, uh, I mean, definitely frustrating. I mean, because yeah. I'm an artist through and through, and they yeah. really didn't get that. Even though my mom is a wonderful painter, you know, she still had her regular job. She was cooking, and she had a daycare center, and my dad worked for the post office. You know, they, they had their regular lives that they could count on, um, so they didn't really understand me flitting about and doing things, but I think they appreciated my the freedom, you know, that I was so excited to to travel around and meet lots of different people and call them from all over, you know, the country. They enjoyed that. But the fact that your mom painted is very interesting. She was a creative, but she just kind of put it in the place, like she gave it its place, but yeah. didn't like try to be a working artist, but that she still kept that alive for herself. That's interesting. It is. And she painted religious pictures that she hung in the church. So she was able to, you know, she fulfilled her desire to be expressive, but put it in the place where it could be appreciated and within her belief system. It, it's very interesting because thinking of them now, I, I really see how, you know, their, their focus was very, very narrow. And, um, you know, he, even my father, like with his, um, his sermons, they were very theatrical. I mean, very, very theatrical. So I think that was his artistry too, within, you know, within that guideline that they felt that, that God had set for them. So, I mean, I really have to honor them. They were, in that sense, they were very creative to get like their creative needs met, but still feel like they were, you know, serving God in a way that would allow them to enter the gates of heaven. <laughs> and, and, and preaching is theater, totally, you know, without <laughs> doubt. <laughs> without a doubt yes it really is yeah and to have to put out that um intensity of energy and be compelling you know that's that's an art that's a that's a that's a talent 
It is. It really is. And I forgot my, my mom played piano. So at the church, she was playing the organ too. So she was very creative. They were creative in their own ways. They were. So then, so then you, you, you got out of school and you started your life as a young adult. And then did, did you, you didn't immediately come to LA. Did you, or when did you come to LA? Gosh, I came to LA my, with my ex-husband and I, we had our, the reggae band called Jamalad and uh, we were touring the Eastern seaboard up and down from, gosh, New York to Key West, up and down for many years. And then we came out here. Uh, we did um, a couple shows in Cote d'Ivoire. He was from West Africa. And then we went to Hawaii. And on the way back from Hawaii, um, let's see, wait, let me think. No, so I take that back. We were already out here. So we came out here the year of the Rodney King riot right before that happened 93 was not i thought 92 but probably 93 no, no it is 92 like, 92, 92 yeah. Yeah. yeah and we got we got here like just a few months before and we went back to do an east coast tour came back um we were gigging oh my goodness in um laguna beach and on the way back late at night you know like three in the morning we started seeing fires because we just we just didn't know what was going on and we came back and we you know going through i guess we come through south central the the way we were going heading to we were living in um redondo beach at the time so you know it took us through like firestone area and we just saw these fires and people were going crazy so here it was you know the riots had started and um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> your introduction to LA and you're like, oh man, this is, this is, this is a little much. <laughs> we had only been here like a few months. <laughs> and I was already like, I could not, I did not drive for a year. I was terrified because LA was so fast. And then the riots, I thought, oh my goodness. And then let's see. Then the earthquake. Oh my. <laughs> we were up in. Um, we were up in Lake Arrowhead. We did we did a poolside gig at that time on the weekends. We would do um, let's see, Friday afternoon poolside Lake Arrowhead. Drive to Laguna, perform. Drive back up Saturday uh, afternoon poolside. Drive to Laguna, perform. Then go back up Sunday poolside. So it was one of those weekends, the crazy earthquake, and we were just fall, we just fell asleep, and it threw us into the floor. That was the strongest earthquake I had ever felt. Yeah. Yeah, that was the Northridge one. Yes. That was the one that, that like picked up houses and would poof, like knocked them a few feet sideways. And like, Oops, yeah. And yeah. I know Brad was talking about how the building that was across the street from him, he was in um, somewhere, somewhere in, uh, somewhere in LA. And he said that this, the, the building across the street was, it was a brick building, an old one. And, and the entire side wall of the building, it was like a dollhouse. Like the, the wall had fallen, so you could see in all the floors and you could see all the furniture in the rooms, like bedrooms and TVs and beds and stuff like that. I mean, crazy. And it caused a lot, a lot of damage in some places and then not as much in other places, of course. Yeah. You know, but how scary. So you had barely been here you get, then you see the riots and the fires and the mayhem. And then there's this massive earthquake. You're like, <laughs> did you think you made a mistake? 
honestly, at that point, Lucy and my ex-husband, we were fighting so much. It just, it was just another thing. That was like pretty much towards the end of us. <laughs> but it was pretty crazy. It was really, you know, arriving in LA during that time was intense. intense. And you stayed. And I stayed and I love it. I, I love it so much here. I love that you can garden all year round here. I love that. And the sun. I love the sun. I'm, I'm not a fan of snow unless I can go to it, play in it, clean it off, and drive home to the sun. <laughs> yeah, leave it. That's the thing. It's like, it. you know, snow is fun if it's not your snow. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can borrow it. It's yeah. like, it's like a, it's like a, uh, a small child, if you're, you know, like, I know you're a mama, but for those of us who aren't, you know, it's like, it's fun to play with other people's babies. That's what I do almost every day. I enjoy, I work with so many kids now and I enjoy it. I have so much fun. And then I say, okay, bye. See you next time. <laughs> and then, and then tell me about, tell me about meeting John. Where, where that, oh my goodness. that story. Um, I met John on LAMatchmakers.com. <laughs> so hilarious. He, it's so funny. He wrote me and he was very sweet. We, we emailed for a long time and then we started talking. We talked for a long time and um, we'd always fall asleep talking to each other. And um, so we actually talked on the phone and email for about, I think like three months before we actually met, because we were busy and, you know, he's in film and I was running around doing lots of musical things, um, which was wonderful, super busy. Um, and I guess April 1st, 1999, my then coworker gave me some tickets. Oh my gosh, who, uh, who are we gonna see? That, that amazing Latin band, they play the guitars. Um, oh, Gypsy Kings? Yes, the Gypsy Kings. I <laughs> April first, nineteen ninety nine. Gypsy Kings at the Greek Theater. That was our first time meeting. We were like the fourth row. It was awesome. Wow. I know. I know. It was wow. so cool. It was raining, and I was taking time to do my hair. And he had on a beautiful Donna Karan jacket. He's standing there, and his jacket was kind of ruined. <laughs> but he didn't. He was fine with that. And. You know, we said hello, we hugged, we went in, and um, we were having fun dancing, and it was just super nice. And actually, one of the Gypsy Kings looked at us and said, nice couple. <laughs> wow. Now, had you seen, because this was another time, had you seen, did you know what he looked like? I mean, like, were, did you have pictures of each other? Did you, like, how did you recognize each other when? Well, from, from LA Match. You okay, okay, so you got, okay, there were pictures, so you know, okay. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you met, and then it was like magic. Yeah, we had such a nice time. We, after the concert, we went out for coffee and dessert, and we talked and talked and talked, and just really nice. He's, he's well, you've met him. He's nice, and, yeah. he's, and he's kind, and he's lovely, a lovely person. And I could always tell by how he talked about his mom and his sisters, mm -hmm. that he was very kind and gentle. He's, you know, very considerate and very in touch with his feminine side, which to me is really important. You know, and he's a, a great dad and great husband. Well, and I think, you know, like the, the fact that you were able to talk to each other 
on the phone and fall asleep talking to each other like that like you're already having a soul connection before you even meet so you're not distracted by the chemistry thing right i think that that's like that's a really beautiful way and i think you guys would have met like it there it, the, the universe would have conspired to have you meet somehow but it, it was okay. la match <laughs> hilarious but it goes to show you know it's like it doesn't matter what the means are the fact yeah. that the connection is made you know yeah and then you guys got married on Kauai, right yep in 2002 we just had our 18th year anniversary yes yes i know i saw the congratulations that crazy thanks that crazy? how did how does the time go we were talking about that this morning about how because this is this is september 11th 19 years after Yes. The towers and 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 it seems like it wasn't that long ago, and yet here it is. It's 19 years, and that was a that was a really really profound moment for a lot of people. It was like a like a kind of a like a a wake up like what am I doing with my life kind of thing, and mm -hmm. life is short, and anything could happen at any time, and this real sense of um, anxiety you know, in this country about, wow, we can, we can be gotten to. Mm. And that, so did, um, did it affect you in that way? I think so. I, I, you know, I remember that morning, you know, the phone started ringing and um, people were saying, turn on the television, turn on the television. And it was so surreal. Like, I remember feeling like it was the end of the world and then noticing that there was no air traffic around and other people out in their balconies. We were managing an apartment building um, on Kauang at the time. So you could see other people on their balconies, people crying and you know, just, just talking to all family members. And I'll never be the same. You know, that, that we had this false sense of, like you said, being untouchable. That, I mean, I didn't even think of being touched. Do you know what I mean? I, I never thought there would be a terrorist attack on our soil. Just so I guess, yes. That, that, on, on that scale. Right, on that scale. You know, we don't, we don't, we'd, we'd seen the, the, the Oklahoma City bombing. Well, that was oh, domestic. Yeah. Yes. But, and that was shocking. But the mm -hmm. fact that it was these iconic towers that we all knew and that we'd yes. all seen. Um, I, I remember being on the bus, going to work. I was in San Francisco and I worked for a little public relations firm and my boss was traveling actually he was in texas and um and that morning i'm on the bus and i hear like this little buzz because we didn't have smartphones that would be looking things up right and then i heard this talk about like oh one of the towers was hit or something about i'm like what i mean it just didn't compute and then i got to the office and i was the only one there and i turned on the tv and then the second tower fell and it was like <gasps> you know yeah. and then i was freaking out about how they had you know, they had, of course, they were grounding all planes because there were still planes in there and they didn't know, we didn't know, well, are there any other planes or what's happening? Yeah. What's what? And my boss um, had been on a flight that morning. He was due to come back. And, um, and he told me after the fact, when he got back to the office that day, he said, you know, we're on a plane, we're coming into SFO and there are fighter jets on either side of the plane and he said, I remember thinking, oh, they're, they're, they're here to protect us. Yay. And then he, he, said, then he had his moment of, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, oh, they're here to shoot us down if, 
if we if if we turn if we veer you know like go somewhere we're not supposed to go that it's you know like a terrorist takeover or something so he had this oh yay and oh shit moment at the same time and uh he said that was really sobering i'm like hey fighter jets oh oh no <laughs> you know and uh but everyone was so shaken by this you know everyone was yeah yeah it's it was definitely a scary time. We actually fled to higher ground. We um we grabbed what do we have our do we have a doggy? No, we we didn't have it was just us. We didn't have any pets then. Yeah, we had no pets. So we went to Idlewild. We just went to Idlewild for a couple of days just because we just didn't feel safe. We were living yeah. you know, Coindas by the reservoir. They were worried that they were gonna poison the water system. So we just drove up to the mountain and just stayed up yeah. there for a few days. You know, take yourself out and give your nervous system a break. Take shelter yeah. in a in a in idle wild an idle wild in a faraway place that's away from all of this stuff and yeah. and it and it just but it, it definitely um, I think we as Americans were changed on that day. Yeah, what whatever anybody believes about you know who is responsible how it happened blah 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 whatever the fact is it did happen and you know over three thousand people were killed three thousand eight hundred something i think and you know I, I i had this experience where on that day um i have one of my best friends um in chicago his name's mike frost and he had a friend whose dad was a new york city police officer and he was one of the first responders and he was there on the ground and he had uh, his little camera phone because it was kind of early days of camera phones, but he was taking pictures and he was sending the pictures to his daughter and his daughter was sending the pictures to my friend, Mike, and Mike was sending them to me. And I was seeing these pictures of people covered in ash and I, and these pictures uh, actually showed up on, I think they were in Time Magazine and other places, you know, mm. at least you know, publicly after that. And it was just like, I was seeing these images and not even believing what I was seeing. It just it was mm. so surreal. Or not that I didn't believe them, but just I, I did, but it was just like trying to wrap your brain around that, that amount of devastation, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it definitely, it definitely changed things. Yeah. And, um, but, but anyway, <laughs> beyond that. So, yeah. so, um, but I, I also wanted to talk about how, um, back to a happier topic. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you were singing and all that stuff, but percussion became a thing for you. When did that come in? Like, what did you fall in love with your percussive instruments? <laughs> well, early on, on stage, I, you know, with the reggae band, I just, I needed to do something, you know, dancing was fine, but I needed to do something with my hands, especially when I would do leads. So I started, you know, playing the bell or some claves or, or a tambourine. And I realized, oh man, all these different sounds, like they resonate in different parts of my soul. So I started collecting and, you know, um, on the way to other gigs, we'd have stops. I'd learn a little bit. When I was in Africa, I took some drumming lessons. I would just get, Anyone who had an interesting percussive instrument, I would ask them to teach me. And luckily, because um, we were doing Afropop and world music and reggae, we always had guest musicians from different parts of the world. So they always had different rhythms and different instruments to share with me. So I just, I just got into it and, oh boy, I've, I've been collecting. Absorbed. Absor oh, absorbed. And I love it. It makes me so happy. So happy. I mean, my... <laughs> 
many drums now. It's so crazy. And I love each and every one like a child. So gorgeous. Well, they're all, they all have their own soul, really, right? I mean, like every instrument has, it's imbued with its own spirit. Yeah, it is. They're and like they Yes, yes. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And when you, so you, you mentioned traveling in Africa. Were you just in West Africa? Or did you go around the continent or? No, only, only, we stopped in Ghana, but we stayed in, in Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, and it was beautiful. That was that was incredible. And those West African rhythms are, of course, are part part of the heart and soul of rock and roll. Yeah, of, of blues and yes. and the gospel. Like it's everywhere. Everywhere. It's the, mo it's yeah. the mother heartbeat of American mm. music, really. It really, really is. It's gorgeous. So important. And then we, so we were talking about drums. When did you start doing drum circles? Oh my goodness. Um, well, it's kind of funny. In my home, I think I've always done drum circles. Like when I have a gathering, you know, at the end of the night, everyone's like, where's the drums? So we bring all the drums out. So I need more cowbell. <laughs> a lot more cowbell. We, <laughs> like that was the thing that I realized all of my friends are like, are we going to drum? Let's drum. And I didn't, I didn't realize how much it was part of the experience of hanging out with the Wallaces. Um, so I've, I guess, been doing quote-unquote drum circles for many, many years, but really professionally for going on four years now. And I just love it. Um, I guess before COVID hit, I was doing about 20 to 25 a month. And that was crazy. But the feeling that you're left with, I just love it so much. I mean, I work with little kids from i guess from about one and i have some seniors well i guess my oldest one who's almost 110 she passed away and um so i think maybe 104 is about my oldest right now i know amazing in like it's senior living but they're like independent you know incredible i mean in wheelchairs but they're jamming and singing and they just, it just gives them so much, but I love it. it. It's such a mutual communion. I'm getting so much as I'm sharing the drums and, and teaching rhythms and dancing and singing. It's, it's just so beautiful. It's such an important part of my joy, like to remain joyful. It's, it's almost like when I'm drumming, it's like it just washes through and just reignites joy. I'm just, instantly joyful and i think that joy is like a virus as much as negativity is and it spreads like wildfire wherever you plant it and so i imagine do you do you find any of some of these older people when you first meet them do you find that some of them are kind of shy like they don't really want to participate no you just kind of mm -hmm. didn't you say something i think you told me that like for those people, like you just give them a little, like a shaker or something. It's like, here, you just hold on to this. And maybe you can use it later. I love that because you don't push it on them. You right? just give it to them just in case they Just in them. case, right? Or I'll sit a drum next to them. Let's say, I don't want to drum. This is too loud. I don't want to drum. I say, okay, okay. Then we keep going. And then I look, I see their fingers tapping on the drum. I said, would you like a drum? Oh, no, I don't want a drum. <laughs> They're jamming out. They're like, why are you stopping now? <laughs> I love that experience to, to see people just pulled in to their own joy, their own rhythm, their own expression. So great. 
so great. And also because maybe, because when everybody else is, you know, they're in their own rhythm and, and carrying on in their own unique way, and maybe they feel like they don't feel judged or watched because everybody else is doing their thing. So then they're kind of like surreptitiously tapping on the drum or like, then they it's like, it's like they need permission. Yes, yes. And then when you give them permission, like, hey, have at it, go yeah. for it. This is fun. They just light up. That's so wonderful. It really is. It really is. I love it. And then what about the, the, the healing power of percussion? Talk a little bit about that, um, like how, how it happens or the effects on the human body. Well, <laughs> well first, personally for me, um, I would say like I like different drums, different sounds really, really just resonate. In, in, in me. So I know like if I'm just feeling, and if I'm just feeling, I guess like if I'm feeling more like on edge, like I can just get the buffalo drum and just like a simple heartbeat just brings me back to my heart and, and, and it's, it's very healing for me. I think when drumming in community, I think like what you were saying earlier, seeing other people drum, seeing other people comfortable expressing themselves. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're playing too fast or, or maybe they're not a great drummer. There's no judgment, but they are still experiencing the joy and release of drumming. And then watching others get that permission to say, okay, I'm going to do it too. For me, that's the healing. It does, you know, I, I'd love for all the circles to be rhythmically perfect and, and tight and we're awesome and you know, it just sounds like it was planned and it's beautiful and we sound professional. That's great, but I'd rather watch people have their experience where they come out of themselves and they, they find, you know, I don't know whether it's a bell or a block or, or just tapping their fingers on the drum, but seeing them close their eyes and just go into their experience. That to me is, is the healing for me, and I believe for them is, is very, very healing. It's just, we're, we're rhythmic creatures. We, we have a heartbeat. Our first thing that we hear is our mother's heart, that drum beating. So I think, you know, picking up an instrument, um, it's, it's just important. It, it grounds us. It just returns us to, I don't know, that, that original experience of being alive. Yeah. I think there's something similar too when we're, you know, how we're drawn to the ocean yes. and that the, the, the beautiful oh. waves coming in and out. And it's that it is similar to that, that the sound that a, that a, that a, a, a not yet born baby hears, there's like the slosh, slosh, slosh of the mother's heartbeat. That that's their that's what they're tuned into before they even come into the world and i think that that primal mm. that primal thing and then also how calming it is i mean yes. when we were walking around in malibu um in the evening on the beach and um and and i was struck by there were just a few people here and there it was kind of getting a little bit dark and we were we started to walk we had to go back to where we could get off the beach and it was rocky and so it was a little precarious because there were a lot of rocks we had to get over. And there were these lovely people who had set up a little camp. There was a family, you know, who had a little fire going and, um, yeah. and then a little barbecue. 
and they they shown their they shown their um, their smartphones flashlights so we could see oh, so step sweet. over the rocks. It was a Latino family, you know, yeah. and they and they were, were like, oh, thank you. It was like, oh, buenas noches, have a good evening. You know? <laughs> so adorable because they helped us to find our way back yeah. to the path of sand where we could walk safely. Yeah. You know, and I thought, you know, I think this is part of the, I mean, they're just nice people anyway, but, but I think there is a spirit that something happens to people when they go to the beach yeah. that it just kind of calms them the heck down and and um and and puts them into a different mindset and they're not kind mm -hmm. of burdened by care like they are in their no normal world yes. so i think it makes people kinder because they're they're not in fear mode they're not in flight mode yeah but the other thing i was going to say about drum circles and i've done a few of them but i one of the things that's so wonderful is there seems to be this telepathy that happens amongst the participants where we don't know how the rhythm changes, but somebody changes it and we all just kind of go with it. And then it, it shifts and, and you can feel it. And everybody started like looks around the circle and kind of smiles and laughs at each other because we feel like there it is, there it is the thing, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Other mode and then it happens again. And, and it's just so, and it's mysterious how it happens. It is. It's called entrainment. We we instinctively want to we, we want to work together. We want you know we want to we want to lock in together. So we we just we just start to feel and listen, and it's just such a beautiful thing that happens. Entrainment. Entrainment. Yeah. I hadn't heard that term before. So that's that's the sinking. The sinking of the minds, the sinking yes. of the rhythms. And the rhythms and how we're in without knowing we're we're listening and you know, if, if it gets low, then we kinda go low. If it gets loud, we get loud. It's just because we instinctively want to, you know, kind of lock in and, and engage together in a in a way that's understood without without words. That's I think that sort of gets to the foundation of of how human beings are social creatures and how we are connected. And that's how we've survived in our, in our tribal state back when we were hunter gatherers, you know, there, there was, you know, everybody had to work together and be in sync with each other because if you weren't, there was going to be a problem, <laughs> you know, it'd be very dangerous. Yes, absolutely. So true. And also I think drumming and singing and being around the campfire, you know, being around, that is primal. People have been doing that for millennia. Yes, yes. Bonding with each other and telling stories and singing. Yes. And the first, the first musical instruments would have been drums of some Absolutely. kind. Absolutely. Yep. on something. Yep. The, the drums, well, for celebrations, there's mm -hmm. drumming. For funerals, there's drumming. To, to bring the men back who went out hunting for food, they, they follow the sound of the drum that brings them back home. It's so amazing. I, I just love that, you know, knowing that they could follow the sound of that drum to get back home. And you know that, that your people are there waiting for you. Yes. So when you come back from the hunt and you're triumphant, hopefully, you know, you have your antidote <laughs> or whatever you went yes. out and And... Yes. You know, speaking of rhythm, um, oh, well, I did want to ask you, so that's, so you founded Earth Rhythms, U-R-T-H, Earth Rhythms. When, when, when did you, when did you start that? Gosh, let's see, Earth Rhythms 
what are we, 2020, I think 2016. And then, and then people will call you up and say, hey, we want to do a, um, can you come to this senior home or something? So they just call you and then you, and then you, you book a session and you go and you do it. Yeah, I mean, I reach out. I do a lot of marketing. I reach out to, um, you know, I work with a lot of Montessori schools, particularly. They're just so sweet. Um, I, I work with LAUSD. I, I work with some private schools. I do lots of birthday parties and celebrations, lots. Um, I do several, um, I guess, there's there's several, Jew, I guess, is it, what is it Orthodox Jewish holidays where we actually go to the beach and drum with fire it's so interesting i love i love the celebrations so beautiful um let's see i'm trying to think what else i worked with about five well before COVID, i was working with about five different senior living and senior independent living homes that i i love and i miss them so dearly and want to figure out how to give back to them um yeah, I mean, everything, daycare centers, like, wherever there's people, you know, that want to, I mean, a little, I do a little bit of corporate work. I'd love to do more. Um, I just started working with um, a cancer wellness center. So excited about that. Bringing in, you know, drumming with painting, drumming with expressing emotion, you know, drumming with, with flow. And I just love how we're just kind of massaging the rhythm circle experience to incorporate um, more um, emotional type healing specifically, you know, mm-hmm. as part of, you know, the outline of the circle. It's nice. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention was you and I met in doing Vital Danza, which was facilitated by our dear, much loved, but sadly departed friend, Jacqueline Levins Bari. Yeah. And um, and I did want to ask you, how did you come to that? How did you come to know Jackie? So, okay, so my daughter, uh, Delia, was going to, we were going to Waldorf at the time. And Blair, do you know Blair? I'm sure you know Blair. Blair invited me. Gosh, you know, hmm, I have to think. So, okay, so I met, I first met Jacqueline, or no, actually saw Jacqueline. We were actually neighbors. I would see her walking her daughter and son to and from Kester Avenue, which our kids were going to the same school. We never spoke, but she was all, so tall and so beautiful, hair in the wind. She'd always have a scarf, blowing fabric. She was always like, who is that magical person going by? <laughs> you know, you just like, Oh, you would trail after her, just or just be walking behind her. She always smelled so good in the way. <laughs> All her essential oils. Oh my goodness! Always. Right? Oh, lovely. Um, so I had seen her, you know. Um, I guess over the year, our kids were at the same school. Then I, so interesting. I transferred my daughter to Waldorf and met Blair at mm-hmm. Waldorf and. Blair kept saying, you have to come to Vital Danza. You have to come. So I went to Vital Danza and met Jacqueline. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're the woman. Yes, the the African goddess. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? So she was on my periphery and and actually lived five blocks away. We're actually neighbors. 
which I didn't, well, I, I guess I knew because we were at the same school, but isn't that interesting? We never connected except when I met her in Vital Danza and experienced her magic. And of course we became friends and Vital Danza was so beautiful and still is so magical. And, but isn't that funny? And that's of course where we met. Yes, and I have kind of a little bit of a mystical story about yeah. also. So I was doing my yoga teacher training at Golden Bridge in Santa Monica at the time in 2016. And one of my dear yoga, I call him my, my gay yoga husband, Paul Deniston, who was my pal and great love in that program. And he said, you totally have to come with me to Vital Danza. You're going to love it. And he also said, you have to meet my friend, Diana. So, and, and he said, so she doesn't always come, but you know, like every once in a while. So he said, you, you got to meet Diana. So, um, so I went to, um, and I met Jackie and it was that, you know, she just kind of comes at you with this beautiful spirit and she'll like grab you and kiss you and hug you. And, and, and she's, and just so full of love and so open. Uh -huh. And so, and so I loved, I loved the class. Of course it was at uh, Yoga Noho. Yes. And um, so then, uh, then, you know, went, went to, I went, I went as often as I could and then, um, and then met you and you walked in the door and I thought, that's Diana. I know <laughs> it's like this like beam of light hit me, you know, and, and Paul had told you about me. Yes. And, yes. and so it was like, love at first sight. Oh, and, so and, sweet. and then, um, and then the other strange little mysterious thing was, um, so, uh, Jackie passed away, I believe it was March of, was it 2017 or 2018? I think seven, it's 17, eight, I think 2017. Okay. So, so at, um, I remember at the little, we had a little memorial at, um, we, we had one at your place, but then all, before then at, at Yoga Noho. Yes. And, and one of the people to, to speak at that was Dean Larratt, who was the, is the chiropractor who has his office there at, at oh. Yoga Noho. So, um, and, and the, the thing that's amazing about that is Dean has been friends with my Brad Watson for like 20 years. But I didn't know Brad yet. I was yet to meet him. And then, so then later in 2017, and I met Brad at the comedy store. And then somehow the topic came up because I told him about Vital Danza and I told him about um, Yoga Noho. And he said, you know, I have a friend who's a chiropractor who has an office in a yoga studio somewhere in Noho. I'm not quite sure where. I said, wait, is his name Dean? <laughs> and he said, yes. And he said, I actually helped him build his desk in his office. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I told him, I said, it's Dean Lair. I, I have met him, you know, and so it was this crazy thing. Wow. So had Dean ever mentioned Brad or any, nothing? Well, no, because I mean, I, I had just met Dean a couple times. I knew him on site. It's a hi to him, you know, but I didn't know his story and I didn't know that he was from, but isn't that crazy? So then, crazy. so Brad and I put that connection together after we had met. Isn't that something? Kind of, kind of, uh, some kind of mysterious kismet yeah. connection, sort of a thing, six degrees yeah. of heaven bacon, you know, how everybody knows each other somehow, even in a place like LA, which is huge, 
And what are the odds? You know? You know, good people just know good people, though. I just, you know, I feel like we're we're putting out love and healing to the world and really just I just just really shining. And I feel like those of us that are in that space, we keep finding these these threads of other shiners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's so gorgeous, but but you know, as you step back, you're like, wow, this person knows that person. I, I love all the little connections, but I, I feel like it's our, our intention, you know, how we show up in this life. I just, I think, I, I feel like that's how it feels for me. And it's beautiful and it's, um, it's life affirming. And um, yeah, it's, it's really, that's magical. I have a, a friend who was my teacher of uh, Taoist Qigong and meditation, my friend Steve Spano in San Francisco. And he was saying that, uh, he said, you know, um, he said, I feel that we all travel through time together. Kind of like we, we know our people when we, when we see them, when we meet them. Like he said, we're all kind of traveling together and you know we pop off into um into other dimensions then we kind of reform again somehow and because you know how we, like with your closest friends with people that you feel most deeply connected yes. like i've known you before like yes. somewhere back there like right. oh eighth century toledo spain i remember <laughs> that you know i mean just it's it's a very sort of mystical kind of yeah. crazy notion but at the same time, I, 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 I do think there is something very intuitive about how we know our people. Like we see like, oh yeah, I remember you, you know, just yeah. there's recognition, there's an instant recognition. And, and you're one of those people for me. Jackie was one of those people. Yes. Uh, Brad was one of those people. I, know, yeah. you know, I remember the Vintel Danza with you. I was like, oh my gosh. I remember we were dancing, we were looking at each other's yeah. eyes and smiling. And it, I love that. We were like two little girls, just so giddy, having so much fun, just just to be together in yeah. that space of joy. That's so powerful so powerful it was also a place um a safe place for um emotion to come out and and sorrow and i remember i remember the last time that um the last class that i did with jackie i remember i was partnered with her um because i was like the odd person and and um and she had one of these moments of kind of emotion coming out and whatever and i was holding space for her and it was really so interesting because she's the one who is always like the mother of the group like kind of holding space for all of us to allow whatever was going to come out to come out and to it was such an honor to be there for her and to do the same thing for her um as she had done for me so many times you know and and just to and and to to hold space and be a part and support the others in the group and we had you know Blair was one Callie and Summer and Paul and and um and you know all these people oh, who would come together and um and have this very it was very intimate it was very and and I always think of movement as being the companion to percussion the the, the companion to rhythm movement and rhythm and you have both of those things and incredible transformation happens out of that. Because yes. it's so primal, right? It is, it is. Oh, it's, 
there really aren't words to describe um, that moment because you're, I would say, I feel like I'm no longer one. I'm just a part of, of everyone. And that's what is so glorious. And for me, that's when the emotions really come when I realize I am just an extension of you and you're an extension of me. Oh, I need to go to a VTEL dance. <laughs> I, I wish everyone in the world could experience what that is because I've tried to explain it to people who they're not movement people. They're not dancers. They're not, they're not music people. They're not, you know, um, or even musicians try to explain it. They're like, huh? You know, it sounds really airy fairy and out there and everything. Yes. But it's really primal. Um, nothing to do with, with the, um, the analytical mind. It's all, it works on a different level. It's subconscious, it's deep and it's primal. And um, I just wish that every human being could experience that because it's really, it's really transformative and really something else, you know, to be able to allow things to, I mean, there are people who've had trauma and whatnot and they work it out, it moves through them. It's, you know, it's a little bit like, um, you know, like how uh, any physical practice, whether it's, you know, whether you're chopping wood or you're doing yoga or you're dancing or whatever, it allows the body to kind of shake off this yes. stuff that it's holding on to. Yes. Yes. And Vital Danza is kind of a um, a more intense, um, uh, freer, more freely expressive, I guess you could say. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Gorgeous. I know. I know. Blair is still doing classes. Oh, she I is. Know, I, was, she, I know she was doing them in person, and I believe she's still doing. I see invitations from time to time, so I believe it's via Zoom. I'm not sure. I don't know how, but I want to. Now I want to reach out. I I could use a Vital Danza. Yeah. Yeah. No, I no. gotta. I haven't been in touch with her for a while. I gotta reach out, Blair. <laughs> I'm, glad I'm glad she's doing that. It's such a gift. But well, gosh, um, this. This is, you know, do you know that it's actually 3.15? I can't believe that. Oh my and, goodness. And this That's is so crazy. So, so wonderful. I, but I think, you know, I mean, part of what these talks are about is, is, is reminding people of possibility and, and, and yeah. creativity and, and that even if it seems like things get frustrating or, you know, maybe you're not working or maybe you're not doing what it is that you want to be doing right now or, whatever that is, that, that there are, there are, there are always ways to express yourself, to learn something new, to expand on, on your knowledge base and to come out a butterfly, you know, through this period of, of, of being in the chrysalis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I love that you're doing, I love that you're doing, um, that you're, you're able to do some of the live drum circles because there's definitely an energetic component Yes. that you can't translate on, on zoom. You know, it's just like, it, it, I mean, yes, there, that's a benefit and that can be a good thing, but, but definitely there's something about the energetics of being there in person that that's, yeah. you can't replicate it, you know? Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. It's true. I, although I am going to do like a full on drum circle on Zoom next Saturday. <laughs> do you know Rebecca Beninati? You know her, yes? I've, I'm sure I've met her. Yeah, she's an, an, another amazing yogi. Um, and I actually brought her, you may have met her at Vital Delta, she came. 
Um, but it's her birthday party, so I want to do a, a, I want to try to do a Zoom drum circle. Like, I usually do them with kids, and it's, you know, it's, it's more, we're just kind of all playing and making, you know, big motions, and they're kind of more reacting to me and having you know, little ones to have fun. This is actually, we're going to actually try to drum together, so it should be... I love I love that you work with little ones like little little ones and because they're so pure in spirit they're not self conscious they're just like wee <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful it it really it it fuels me it it feeds me and fuels my um, desire to keep playing drums because you know I forget sometimes I have so many drums I have drums that don't even get played for a long time and after I'm with kids I'm like. Let me try something new and, and bring that, that spirit of playback, you know? Yeah. What about are you doing any are you doing any recording, any voice recordings? Any music? I actually am. I just I don't know if you heard it. I just did the um a beautiful mantra. I, I did I, that. Yeah, I, yeah. Thank you. That was pretty. So I'm working on a couple more mantras and I'm actually digging up old tracks. I have about 40 tracks I'm working on. I'm very slow. I'm not really the technical person, but my husband just kind of reset up my logic and all my sound li libraries so it's more accessible. Thank so God for John finish, and his I know. <laughs> oh my, I know. It's so hard. So I'm working on getting some songs finished and out there and more mantras because I just, I love just sending love out to the world. I, I think mantras and chanting are so powerful because it's so simple. The repetition just allows you to fall into it and it, and it kind of has a chance to do its work. You know, I, I just love that you're such a force for good in the world. I just love that. I just love <laughs> you're so so much. You're just oh, I love the best you people too. in the world. You're kind. Thank you. And thank you for doing this, love, because this has been a great time. It's been so fun. And I can't believe you found interesting things. <laughs> yeah, see? Nothing to worry about. <laughs> I was worried. I was thinking, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't think I'm interesting. So. <laughs> And that was my wonderful friend, Diana Lynn. How's about we go out with some music? This is Wonderland from Diana Lynn, mixed by South African DJs Stones and Bones. I'll be back next week with yet another stellar guest. It's been such a pleasure to share all these wonderful people with you. Your support of Conversations from Here means the world, and I am so grateful for it. Thank you. Until next time, take good care, and I'll see you on the other side.
Back where my soul can be free Wonder 